This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Chris Nee. Uh, apologies ahead of time if I don't sound very well. Still getting over some stuff. How do I look, Chris? Better than you sounded a couple days ago. Well, that's good. Moving, moving in that direction. Let's get right into it, Chris. There's a ton going on in the world of FSU athletics, and FSU has found itself the uh, a pariah of sorts uh, from some in ACC media, and uh, and yeah, it's kind of like FSU's the villain again. Feels like it's just the appropriate time for that to be the case as FSU gets into the swing of things at the start of a pretty important football season. FSU is full on knives out as it tries to pry itself from the ACC, kind of like that James Franco movie that I have no intent of ever seeing, where he's hiking and bad things happen. Um, the idea of alarm sounding and uh, dancing around this delicately, like uh, that's kind of out of the window now. Like FSU's board of trustees meeting yesterday made it very, very clear of what the intentions are. They're crystallizing at this point. Like FSU's decision makers do not want FSU to be in the ACC. That does, Chris, come with a caveat, right? Like, of, of course, of, of not wanting to be in the ACC as it's currently comprised, like from a revenue distribution standpoint, but like the ACC hasn't made it the ground FSU wants. And as uh, trustee Drew Weatherford, Yes, that Drew Weatherford, we're, we're old, uh, said it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like a matter of if you leave the ACC, it's a matter of when and how. So, Chris, let's dive into what was said, who said it, and, and what we think that means for FSU's future in ACC. Yeah, so Brendan's talking about the Board of Trustees meeting that happened yesterday with Florida State. It was virtually held with all the Board of Trustee members chiming in virtually. Uh, myself, a handful of other media, a civilian, uh, a... Uh, cop as well and then employees of the university were gathered together in a little room watching it on zoom and keeping up with it four agenda items those were all known and then at the end president richard mccullough spoke for a good bit and that's where the fireworks really came from a sport perspective um president mccullough made a pretty lengthy statement you can read the entire transcript we put it up on the site yesterday brendan transcribed it for me i appreciated that and uh you know he's pretty straightforward about the revenue gap, but uh, let's not act like yesterday was some new development. FSU has been outwardly warning the ACC and anybody listening since at least February during another board of trustees meeting about the revenue gap that exists in the league, the meaning of FSU to the media deal that the ACC has, and the fact that FSU believes they are owed more money and they deserve more money for the revenue generation that they bring about for the Atlantic Coast Conference with their current deal with ESPN and other media partners. And they have done that again and again. May, spring meetings, which Brendan attended, is another fine example. AD and Vice President Michael Alford went there and was very straightforward about the fact that he believed unequal revenue sharing was something that probably should exist for the league. And that schools like FSU and Clemson, who are the ones that bring about the money that the league so enjoys, 
deserve more because the landscape has changed. With the SEC and the Big Ten signing new media right deals, they're going to make a great deal of money, and there's going to be a large revenue gap for universities like Florida State and Clemson who have full intentions of competing at the highest level. FSU has competed at the highest level numerous times in the last three decades, including three national titles in that time. Clemson's obviously had a phenomenal run here in the last decade where they've carried the league while FSU did have down years. A lot of people really got out of their uh, feelings, I guess, on Twitter yesterday talking about FSU's recent downturn over Ooh, the last Twitter five years. FSU is back, baby. Let's and go. It's been a minute. They're welcome to point out those five down years, but uh, the counterargument to that is uh, look at the TV numbers. It still says FSU is box office boys and drawing them in. So, like, that's what and, this like, argument is about. That's I point out, like, that's the name of the game is is what does your brand rep- represent or what can you make off of TV revenue? Like, yeah, it's all about eyeballs. Texas has been a, a national power in recent years. They got to the SEC. UCLA, USC haven't been super relevant other than USC in the last year or so. Like, they are in the Big Ten. Like, yeah, the, Rutgers 10 years ago was not winning any football games and it's still not winning many football games. Like there's a reason why those schools are being coveted. It's because of what they bring from a certain a dollars and cents perspective. Like, yeah, I, I just want good faith arguments if this is going to be, be something that's debated about. Also Clemson media, if you're thinking you're taking shots at FSU right now, don't think that your athletic director isn't sitting somewhere smiling, happy that FSU is taking the bullets for his school and probably is going to follow a similar path as FSU. Like just what are we doing here? Sorry. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get in us first them then. Cause I don't really care about this. This is about what Florida state intends to do and what they're being outward about. Uh, you know, at this point it's a healthy game of chicken, but it's a very public game of chicken. And this isn't something that you go as public as FSU has gone over. Now, what are we talking about? The last six to seven months, basically, you, you just don't go that course of action if you don't have intentions of ultimately truly doing something unless major changes are made by a conference that to this point in time has shown no intentions of making said major changes when it comes to how revenue is generated and distributed. So I'm not expecting the ACC to change course all of a sudden. So it's pretty clear that FSU has set a course. Now, what was the significance of yesterday beyond the statement by Richard McCall? Well, his statement's very important because ultimately any decision that's made where team is going to notify the conference it belongs to and the member member institutions that it intends to leave, that while the AD can do a whole lot of legwork on that, ultimately that's up to a president or a chancellor as well as a board of trustees to make that ultimate decision. That's not a unilateral singularity decision. It's a group decision. I thought the most significant thing about yesterday was one, you had the president outwardly saying it. Two, you had across the board support of it. Every BOT member agreed with it. We had multiple people speak out. Brennan already referenced Drew Weatherford, a member of the BOT. He is one of, I'd say, at least a half dozen members of the board who were very outspoken yesterday. Chairman Peter Collins obviously did an interview with Warchant here in recent days where he was not shy about many of these subjects when discussing it. And he has not been shy throughout this process as he's been the chairman of the board for Florida State with regards to this. And he's a man that understands private equity things that I would take from a financial standpoint for FSU to venture into the wasteland of trying to depart a conference that has a grant of rights. Michael Alford obviously has been very, very vocal about it, especially from February to May. And I I don't think he's been shy about exactly where FSU stands on the subject. So you put all of that together. And to me, yes, people can say, well, if you're going to do it, do it. That's all well and good. And yes, we all love to fly off at the trigger and do things very quickly. When you're setting yourself up for potentially a major legal battle 
which let's be honest, if FSU does depart the ACC and has to fight a grant of rights, that's exactly what they're doing. You exhaust every possible uh, angle of a subject to show you did your due work on it. And FSU is trying to do that. They have repeatedly gone to the conference and its member institutions and told them that they are here for more money and they believe they are owed it. And they have showed the reasons why they believe are, they are owed it. There are plenty of legal arguments that can come about for fighting grant of rights and anything else. And I'm not going to get into that because I'm not a lawyer, but we all know what some of them are. Basically, you signed a deal that's way too long, that the value of it has changed drastically within the own deal. And in comparison to other deals, media right deals for other leagues, they are not on par. It's not competitive. The monopoly, the market, however you want to frame that, there are legal arguments to be done. FSU has worked extremely hard on this. They were up front yesterday during that Board of Trustees meeting, unveiling the timeline of essentially this has been a year-long process. Carolyn Egan, who's lead counsel for FSU, along with plenty of other lawyers and other people that they've worked with, have looked into things thoroughly. They have vetted the numbers. They have presented the numbers. They have created a very thorough argument. They are not shy. And yes, at this point, because they have not actually done anything, physically of saying departing the conference, it is a game of chicken. And they may not do it by the August 15th deadline, which for the record was referenced yesterday. But I, I think it was uh, possibly a BOT member Roth that said this. If it's not now, it's probably in the next year. And I think that's a realistic timeline to view this all through because I don't believe the conference is going to change their standpoint on this. I believe FSU is going to do everything in their power to exhaust it all. Uh, Chairman Collins kept kind of teasing, well, we might be together a little bit before that September scheduled meeting that the Board of Trustees has surrounding the LSU game. And that, that's, a reference to, that's a reference to a potential basically executive meeting where they would discuss a subject and take actual action. We will see if that happens now in the next, what, 12 days is it that we're in the countdown for, for August 15th? But even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean the subject goes away. I don't think FSU is going to suddenly reverse course. I, I think they're too far down the road in their beliefs about where they stand financially and where it is for the next well, 13 years of this contract with the ACC that they're not going to suddenly change course. And I thought yesterday the most important thing that came out of that beyond the statements was just that we showed that everybody is rowing the same direction within the FSU hierarchy. And that's very, very important. It's a university that's had dysfunction in the past with regards to how the hierarchy is organized and how it goes about doing its business. That is not the case. Hasn't been the case here in a good while. Very refreshing. Yesterday, further reinforced that. You've got very smart people, very heavily invested in the idea of fixing this situation for FSU long term. And if people want to say it's a game of chicken, well, go ahead and play it because I think FSU is willing to play it. I think FSU will take action. I think I've been abundantly clear about that over the last week or so that you know uh, it's it's changed the narrative around FSU and what they intend to do with this it's no longer we're looking into it it's we're figuring out how to do this and that's where FSU is now yeah plans of plans of action um it's not progressing <laughs> excuse me uh the so a few things the I think the counterpoint that people would have is like you 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 could sit and wait and see if the ACC gets off its butt, but that doesn't seem like that's going to happen, right? Like I think at this point that that's abundantly clear that's not well, what's going to happen. Is is the I don't know, take a random school, a lower market school in the league? I'll, I'll throw Virginia Tech, I guess, out there. Is Virginia Tech suddenly going to walk in a meeting and be like, "Man, I don't want to lose FSU, but I'm willing to give up 
X amount of millions of dollars per year for that to go to FSU or potentially Clemson. If FSU and Clemson wants that chunk of the pie, is UNC or somebody like that or Miami or Virginia, somebody that has some value potentially to jump to another conference where it's probably a better, sweeter pot than the current ACC, are they going to shy away from it? And suddenly if five schools are splitting a little bit more money, are you getting enough money to make up that gap? I don't believe there's a realistic way for the ACC to make up the gap that's going to exist. And if you're on the... And the schools that you mentioned would all have, to some extent or another, some attraction to another conference, right? Yeah, um, in the upper half of the ACC. Right. Let's go to the bottom half. I won't even make, name a name. Like, you know, like, who's not attending games and who's not in the major media market. What's your, like, what's, what, if you're sitting their perspective, it's easy to understand why, like, there's some defensiveness. Like, what, what incentive would you have for FSU to give more money to FSU and Clemson right now? Well, if this whole thing blows up, if the league blows up, and if you want an example, just look out west at Pac-12 and what's going on there currently. If this league blows up, there's probably two things that you potentially have at your disposal if you're a lower-tier school in this league. You're going to have to drop down a conference and be in something far less than you wanted to be in than the ACC, or you're going to form some kind of new conference, similar to what the Big 12 has done as they've reorganized and done a very effective job of doing so. But at this point, the Big 12's kind of taken away those that are worth something that aren't being invited to the big boy dance of the SEC and Big 12, Big 10. And you're probably going to end up in some form or faction of former Pac-12 schools that still have remnants, ACC schools, and maybe a few others that you elevate. And, wow, that's a coast-to-coast league, and all these leagues are going to obviously have a large footprint, but that's a truly coast-to-coast <laughs> league. And I just don't know if that's appealing. Plus, let's be honest, we're seeing what's going on with the Pac-12 media deal right now. There's only <laughs> so much money in the pot to go around like you know you're making 30 in the ACC right now or actually more than 30 I think it was what 42 last year roughly was the number um you know like it, uh, we're hearing numbers like 20 million basically for the new Pac-12 deal like yeah you're playing with fire with regards to that so I don't I it's it's a it's a predicament for those schools no doubt um but like what? Okay, you mentioned if it blows up, like that is the worst case scenario for these for for this bottom rung of of ACC schools. That's what FSU I think is trying to accomplish is to get this to blow up, so that way they grant of rights dissolves. Like that's the best case scenario for FSU is you basically sound the alarms to the point where they're so vibrant and and so deafening that where everyone's just jumping ship, like everyone's going right now, and you get enough teams to leave the conference to where it's more than half the league and the grant of rights dissolves. So you no longer have to worry about it. That would be the best case scenario with you landing in uh, the big 10 or the sec like that. That would be the pie in the sky for FSU. If you don't reach that threshold though, and the ACC still around just minus FSU, maybe a few other schools that would follow in the year or so after or, or immediately or whenever that timeline is like then those schools that stayed back, continue to have, as I would understand it, the same amount of money coming into the conference just with fewer teams in there. And yeah. So I'm, you're you're like, I'm that, just saying that that would be the, if you're like a workforce or someone, you're like, all right, go. If we still have nine teams in this conference, then I'm making a few million more a year without FSU here. That doesn't seem so bad. So that, that and some of these conference, some of these programs in the ACC don't care about competing at, at the highest level for uh, football. like just- That's where ESPN fits into this whole thing, too. I mean, they, let's be honest, they play a role. They're they're the financial engine of a lot of this. They're a big part of media rights still for the ACC. And 
obviously they also have controlling power over some other leagues that are significant. So, you know, they have to step to the table and make some decisions too. And they're obviously going to fight any departure from ACC of any school from the ACC. Um, but yeah. Let's with that, with that in mind, Chris, they're also bleeding money currently. That that is why the, the, okay, let's get into this. So I wrote down a list of, of reasons what I think FSU, like what they were trying to, I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones while sick and reading a lot of Game of Thrones while sick. So my mind's going to like all the like, what are you, what are you trying to say without saying it type of type of stuff? So let's go into it. And I want you to pick of like what you think FSU is trying to accomplish. Uh, it kind of explains some of the casting characters here. So one is that FSU could be trying to scare the ACC and ESPN to come to the table one last time and renegotiate, renegotiating um, the, the or to rework the TV contract. Uh, two is they could be trying to leverage the Big Ten for a substantive deal, right? And trying to try to put that out there a little bit. Uh, they could be trying to shake free the SEC one last time. Um, that seems unlikely to me, and that goes back to ESPN and ESPN not having a ton of money, um, and that complicates saying that ACC is connected to ESPN, and so is the SEC. Like uh, I think that's a pretty big deal in all this. Uh, they could be trying to scare the. Uh, the ACC's like B teams to jump ship for a shot at dissolving the grant of rights. Uh, although like those schools like probably have to already have known like FSU was trending this direction. It hasn't really been a secret. It's just, it's just more public than it's ever been. Um, or they could be trying to create like a paper trail for legal case to support a reason for leaving and, and leaving is more or less imminent at this point. So those are the reasonings that I have. So my favorite answer on test was always all of the above. And yeah, I think pretty much all those factors are in there. So I, I view it kind of like history always tells us a story. The Pac-12 is just ahead of schedule of where the ACC currently is. Pac-12 got into a situation where their media deal wasn't very good and schools were unhappy about it. They lost their two leading properties, USC and UCLA. They come back to the table for a new media rights deal because theirs was eclipsing. It was ending, not like the ACC's where it's, you know, never ending 2036. And, the new deal is not very good, and we're probably going to see that league largely potentially dissolve here in the next you know week or so. You know, a lot of talk of Arizona potentially leaving. Arizona State's at the table too because Arizona's there. Talk of Utah. We've heard plenty of whispers about Washington and Oregon. So that's a healthy amount of teams from that league that are considering something right now, and it's a really uncomfortable place to be if you're an Oregon State or a Washington State because you probably don't have options really in front of you. Uh, the ACC, the difference for them is that the media rights that they currently have is through 2036. But if the value of that deal goes bottom up, you know, I don't know that that deal sustains, basically. If you lose FSU and Clemson, I don't know how there's not a, like, this doesn't work for us. We're not going to continue to do this in some kind of legal fight because this is all going to be contractual legal fights eventually. And that's another point you made. It's legal fights. But I think FSU, part of the reason they haven't been in a rush to, end the game of chicken and actually move on to action is you have to exhaust everything to show you actually made an effort to exhaust everything. And FSU has, FSU has been outward with this repeatedly, including in direct conference meetings with media present outside those meetings where it was discussed, for example, in May, obviously the BOT in February, which got plenty of focus upon it yesterday. You are constantly going about doing your due diligence diligence, and doing everything humanly possible to show that we're not just jumping to jump, potentially. We would, we would like to stay, per the words of President Richard McAuliffe yesterday, 
but the current situation is not sustainable. And that's where FSU is. They've been very upfront about it. And I get that it's ruffled feathers, turned them into the villain, but FSU is looking out for FSU. And in the current climate of college football and media rights deal, you have to, because if you don't, you're going to get left out in the cold or be scrambling. And we're seeing that out West right now. Is that really far off from happening over here in the East with the ACC? I don't think so outside of the TV deal being through 2036, but you know, those things can change if the circumstances change. You mentioned the Pac-12, Pac-9 now, Pac however many in the next days and weeks we will see. Like that is all escalating quickly. Uh, you mentioned that a few times, Chris. That that does feel like a domino, like for Florida State. Like if that if that thing falls quickly, uh, like yeah. Next, I, I mean, in the next like before August fifteenth, I think that makes FSU's course of action pretty. Uh, I, th- I don't want to say clear, but I think clearer. back in. May or June, I definitely said it a few times. I probably even mentioned it on a pod when we talked about the subject a little bit in the past. I always thought the Pac-12 and things falling apart, and specifically their new media deal, was a huge domino in all of this because it kind of is an indication of if you're not in the SEC or the big, where do you stand long-term moving forward as a college football conference? And I think it shows that if you're not in one of those big two as they work towards super conferences, at whatever timeline they're going to have, that it's a very uncomfortable place to be. I mean, the ACC deal right now is viewed as the third best. Big 12 will eventually eclipse it. But, like, you know, it doesn't have sustainability. For the deal to be signed through 2036 with no renegotiation window expected, it isn't sustainable if you want to be a top 15 program competing at the highest level and that you have an athletic program that you want to keep healthy and fertile top to bottom, which FSU does, you can't do it. It's just not sustainable. It doesn't work. It's a, I don't I forget which chairman said it yesterday, and I apologize. It's a math problem. He's right. And, and that's what leads me to believe like that. I think a lot of this is you're just, you're creating a paper trail for when this inevitably does go to court. Like I think you yeah. were, you were, you were basically putting this all out there uh, to have said we talk you mentioned due diligence many times Chris like that is what you're going to have to show is like uh, the FSU is, is not only saying that it's afraid and like some of the things that were mentioned yesterday like they mentioned being fearful for what's going to happen to their football program because of what programs all around you are going to be getting from from an annual standpoint and and that gap but then they talk about how that's going to impact their title nine programs so the the non-revenue sports yeah. It's a waterfall that was trickle down effect. That, yeah. that was that was not that was not an unintentional thing to mention. What it will do to the rest of the athletic department, and then you can start planting the seeds of well, our athletic department starts becoming less profitable in general to all sports, men and women. Then what will that do to our university? So, right? and then and then well, let's say, and then if it, and then if you get to the point where it happens to your university, starts starts. Uh, bleeding money from the athletic department standpoint and isn't as, as profitable. What does that do to the, the city? And so like, that's kind of stuff I think that you're setting up for is like, we were put in an untenable situation. We had to act for the livelihood of this entire entity that, that really supports a, a region in this state. So sorry, yeah, Chris, but- we all know that the SEC and the big is going to make big money, but like UCF's come up in this conversation because they're joining the big 12. And obviously that, that is expected to eclipse the ACC at some point during their upcoming media rights deal. And FSU is like, that. basically, that's crazy to think. And that's not a slight towards UCF. It's just one program has won three national titles and the other one just claims one. You know, One. Yeah, I, I had to do that to you, buddy. 
Um, but that's true. Like, that's the point that they keep making. And I think the counterpoint to this beyond what FSU is saying is more so what the ACC isn't saying. The ACC is not trying it in public because I think they understand where this will eventually probably lead, which is more than likely some form of a legal battle or at least a healthy round of negotiation regarding a potential buyout, payout, exit fee combined financials. I am, and I got one last point on this or one last question for you, but I am remiss if I don't give a shout out long overdue. Uh, Chattanooga Whiskey, the sponsor of our podcast. I've not been able to partake in a Chattanooga Whiskey. Uh, Last time I did was last Friday was the last time I was feeling well to watch the Charles Lister commitment ceremony. It was a celebratory drink of Chattanooga Whiskey, Uh, but it would have been great no matter uh, what the outcome was because I did have my CW uh, next to me. Uh, Chattanooga Whiskey is killing it in the craft distillery game. One of the best craft distilleries out there, certainly the best regionally. They do an amazing job with uh, bourbon, cast strength bourbon. Awesome. Uh, the 111 foolproof uh, for, for what you're, uh, uh, what you're paying for it is phenomenal. Their rye is great. Their experimental stuff is amazing as well. So a proud sponsor for us, love their product. They do a great job. And then also the Turner group. Uh, if you're looking to maybe you know, leave your home, Florida State, reach out to the Turner Group, and uh, and Colin and Amy Turner can help you uh, find a, a dream home. Uh, they can help you sell your current home for maximum uh, profit, or even if you're looking to rent in Tallahassee, uh, they can maybe help you find a better avenue that you could actually profit from down the road. Uh, if you're sending some of your rugrats to Florida State coming up this semester and haven't found a place yet, got to act quickly, reach out to Colin Turner of the Turner Group. Just Google the Turner Group and uh, all the information will pop up right there. Um, all right, last last point, Chris, and we're, we're getting this question a lot on the message boards, and I don't think it's a, a thing that we can give a definitive answer to because we don't know, but like what happens next? Like what, what do the next few weeks look like? What, what, what do we expect to happen? Just even your gut. Like this isn't, all right, this isn't a, projection from Chris isn't him reporting on something. This is just like what he thinks or how he's anticipating the next few weeks going from a workflow standpoint. I am not positive that they have an executive meeting or another meeting of any sort between now and August 15th and act before that date. Plain simple, be straightforward on that. I think the possibility wholeheartedly exists. I kind of agree with the uh, member to BOT yesterday who said, if it's not by then, it's probably in the next 12 months. I agree with that timeline. I, I'm not convinced that they rush into it simply from a legal standpoint. Uh, the only difference that that really makes is you're essentially stuck in the league for one additional year as you're trying to sort this out. But I think from an FSU perspective, you're trying to do everything humanly possible to put yourself in the best position for if you do go forward with this, to do it in the most efficient financial manner humanly possible. But you also got to show that you have made every effort, exhausted every effort, to not take the action that you take. Okay, let's transition now. I think that was constructive uh, 20 minutes or so on what happened yesterday. And it was certainly a, a, a an entertaining afternoon to what was a busy day for, for Chris and uh, Chris and Brett as they were covering uh, FSU's like preseason luncheon with, with the coaches. So we had all the interviews with the head, the head coach, the assistant coaches across the board. Uh, over on Knowles 24-7. Um, and that's kind of what, what's funny. It was like what happened yesterday. It, it kind of like undercut. They're like, oh, hey, fall camp begins today, Chris. As we're recording this on Thursday morning, it starts this afternoon. Uh, FSU also got a couple of commitments. 
It's decision week for a five-star prospect. It, it almost feels like it's an afterthought based on what's happening, but we do have to get to uh, the other things that are happening in the world of FSU football uh, because that is the bread and butter of, of this podcast. So uh, let's talk about those other things. Before we do, I want to give a round of applause and, and a legitimate thank you to uh, everyone who signed up uh, for our promo uh, w- that we did in the back half of July. It was a really busy um, month of July for us. Um, productive in a lot of fronts. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done and did collectively as a website. And it legitimately gives me like happiness, a pleasure that like you guys noticed it. And we had more than 500 people sign up for like annual memberships, which is crazy. Uh, We really do appreciate the amount of support and for people giving us a try and even like long-term subscribers who, who, you know, gave a vote of confidence to us and told their friends, like, thank you for that. So we do appreciate it. And let's hit the, the football season coming up here, uh, we'll hit the ground running, um, except for me as I probably missed the first practice or two because I'm still quarantining. Um, Chris, let, let's start off by talking about some commitments from this past week. Uh, last Friday, FSU got the verbal from Charles Lester. We had talked about it beforehand that that was kind of the expectation. Colorado was was lurking in the shadows with that visit and like just we've learned history has taught us, right? You, you don't discount. I, I appreciated Lester shooting straight that he committed on his official visit. And I mean, he came out of building and told a collection of media members, including myself, that he had committed and basically yeah, I, said, can, can you please keep it quiet till I have my ceremony at the end of July, which he then went about setting up. But there was always that concern in the, what, six week window basically between then and when he actually announced that things go sideways and such. And that's just the pessimism that exists from doing this long enough where you've seen it happen before. Yeah, but but then- he, he lived up to what he had said and done. And truthfully, I think he may have even committed and not in the same manner he did in June. But I think his mind was pretty well made up when he made that legacy weekend visit. I think he'd committed multiple times or come or insinuated he'd committed multiple times before he actually uh, committed, committed. So um, anyways, that's a five-star cornerback that you add to your class. That's a premium player at a premium position. We talked about it at length. I know not on the podcast stream, but we did do it on the uh, the OTB uh, Knowles 24-7 YouTube feed. We did a live commitment uh, watch with Coach AB, Kevin, myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a, a huge commitment. We've covered that extensively at Knowles 24-7 a big domino to fall for someone else who, who we'll talk about in a minute here. Let's talk about the other commitments, Chris. Uh, linebacker Tamir Hickman-Collins from Northern South Carolina, almost up by North Carolina way, um, almost up to Charlotte. He's an 86th grade per 24-7 sports, 82nd at his position. So he's firmly three-star status as a linebacker. Listen, he came to camp. He basically got the green light to commit after the camp. Uh, please let us know, your, you know what, how that recruitment went down, and we'll talk about his game real quick. FSU had been on him a while. They got him in for a visit during the spring, had built a good relationship with him. Randy Shannon and him had gotten to know one another very well. As you mentioned, he comes to Seminole Showcase. He works out, gets the green light after that. He told Zach actually that evening that he had committed, went public with it. I forget if it was the next day or the following day. We were but, all eating know. cheeseburgers together, and Jack and I shared a milkshake, and he still doesn't have COVID. And I don't understand how that didn't happen. Yeah, and THC Tamir Hitman Collins is a kid that they like, and uh, it, it's just funny. Linebacker recruiting is sort of its own little beast and animal, and you know everybody's got an opinion and a hot take to share on it. But it's clear as day that Randy Shannon has a type, and 
THC fits into that. <laughs> he was. He I, I watched him work a good bit at the camp. I watched him do one on ones, and the tight end, big man talent that he was going against was good, but not like set your world on fire. Great. He was decent. Like I, I didn't love him. I didn't hate him. I just very much fell in the middle, and I thought the foot speed was okay. Which on film, I honestly am a little like, eh, yeah. The, He's not slow, but he runs kind of, I guess, clunky is the best way I can describe it. He's definitely a kid that I think from an athleticism standpoint some and playing the position specifically, some things can be cleaned up. And I'm interested how he handles that and does that. I don't think he's all world. I don't think he's a guy that will never play down. He'll have some kind of value on your roster. At the end of the day, I think FSU's collecting linebackers of a similar type and hoping a few of them pan out. I still think they probably ultimately end up looking in the portal for a high end experienced college linebacker, because obviously you're losing two very good ones after this coming season. Who was the linebacker? And I'm, I'm not trying to be snarky, but like, I, I just want to go over like how I felt about something at the time. Who's the linebacker they got from Texas ended up transferring to UNLV? Like. Uh, oh, the- uh, Eubanks, Jordan Eubanks. And I remember and that, watching. That was, if I recall, that was a either COVID take or it happened right before COVID, and they never it was really a, got it was that 2021 out. cycle where you couldn't eval yeah. in person. Um, and I remember watching the film and being like, I just like maybe like you'd kind of see the pad, but you really had to like. I always really felt like Eubanks was a big safety that you're trying to transition to linebacker, but he, he wasn't, wasn't really capable of still being a safety at the next level. Yeah, it, it was too much tweener stuff, and like I don't feel quite like that Hickman Collins doesn't give me the same level of like, ah, I just don't see it. I, I do think there's a pretty clear cap on his game. Like he's not going to be a high round prospect uh, based on his movement skills. I do think those are somewhat limiting, uh, but there's also a lot of fun stuff on film with him in between the tackles and him being inst- instinctive and, and quick trigger. And like, that is the stuff that Randy, Randy Shannon seems to really value is can you read, can you be in the right place? can you stop the ball from moving forward when you hit the hole? And like that, those are the basics of linebacker. I know that's not sexy. I know that's uh, limiting from a, if you want to talk about this defense played up to a championship level, like, yeah, it's not going to look like the Georgia linebackers. Like that's, that's reasonable. Uh, but that does not mean that the player doesn't have a level of value. It just, it, to me, like there's a cap to it and that's, that's fine. That's my opinion on it. Like that, I, I just I'm saying like I do see a level of value there. I'm interested to see what he becomes. I like Jaden Parrish more, but you collect, you've got Jaden Parrish, you've got uh, THC, you got Dylan Brown Turner, you've got Demarco Ward. I feel like out of that group, your hope is you're you're hitting at fifty percent. You got two guys who are serviceable, help you at worst, maybe like a DJ Lundy type of guy. Cryer um, as well. Don't forget. I don't think he's been yeah, added. Yeah, yeah, Justin Cryer. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you for mentioning him. Let me check. Um, you, you feel good about Blake Nicholson? Obviously, he's got athletic traits that are different than any of those guys we just mentioned. Omar Graham's a guy who, and we'll get into this with preseason camp talk, but he's a guy that they invested a lot in last year, and they feel pretty good about. So, like you know, your next group up to Lundy and uh, Omar Graham would hope that Blake Nicholson kind of takes that Omar step in his next level next year. I still think you got to go portal just from an experience type. I think you also got to add a guy who's a higher ceiling, not necessarily higher ceiling, but like closer to a ceiling and above what that room is in general. I, I don't lose sleep over the linebacker room. I understand people's frustration with the recruiting of it. I think they like recruiting guys who they view as good football players, and that's sort of it. 
And I get it. They're allowed to recruit better. Like I, I'm not, I'm not here for the argument. I'm tired of the argument, but at the same time, I get the argument. Zach's screaming somewhere in South Florida right now. <laughs> uh, also a name at linebacker, Ashlyn Barker, uh, who's a safety currently, but like we've seen him in person. I'm very curious to see him now with pads on. Like, that might be a dude who one they like already. Uh, yeah, Mike Norvell goes out of his way to mention him mention quite him. often. Yeah, yeah, and, and we had heard of you like subscribed to us earlier in July, like the the tease that we were dropping uh, that week, like had him mentioned, like they they did like him. Um, and when he was a take here, like it's as a safety, but like he's in year two of college football. Like if he becomes someone who grows an extra you know ten pounds and the frame gets a little bit bigger, like he might be might be a he, de- he definitely back. can help you in the box. Yeah. yeah, I mean, right now he can help you in the box. Does he check the boxes? New me, new year. Is he a corner or a safety? Okay, let's He's definitely move- a safety. <laughs> let's move on to the other commitment. Uh, this one felt like a long time coming, but the the, the offer had to come first. Uh, but this is some of the FSU was chipping away at and kept getting him on campus, and that is offensive lineman Jaden Todd. He has an eighty-five grade per twenty-four-seven Sports up in Dublin. Georgia. Uh, let's talk about it, Chris. I know someone that you're a big fan of and it doesn't have the highest uh, offer pool or the highest grade. There's reasons why for it. And I will uh, allow you, I will defer to you because I know that you're a big fan. You remember how I liked Chris Otto last year? Well, this is this year's version of that. He's a very big, very large human, six six three and a quarter. And he is uh, very wide, very tough to get around. FSU had him for a workout in early June at the elite camp. They had him back for showcase and got to put him through it a little bit more. They like him a ton. He almost got offered in June. They were extremely close to pulling the trigger in June on him. They got the other workout. They went ahead and did it. I I think they view him as a kid who won. He's very intelligent too. He's got a good work ethic three. He's got a very high ceiling Four. He's just tough to get around. Like that's always been the description of him in workouts is like, the foot movement is good. The hand placement is good. Technique and fundamentals for where he's at and having only played one year of high school football are good enough, and we expect him to get better. But plain and simple, the ability to get around the guy as a blocker is extremely difficult. Uh, Jaden wanted it. Uh, I mean, he came here in mid-May and visited, and that began the relationship. Chris Thompson had kind of done the work before that because that's his recruiting area, and he's a kid that they got in front of Atkins and Gabe Fertitta and Cooper. Uh, Williams, who do the offensive line room as a group, and they liked him a great deal. And I think it was a matter of just kind of figuring out: Do we want to take another high school offensive lineman this year? And is there value in taking a kid like that? And there is. He's got a tackle size body, but he can probably play anywhere along the line. And they like him. He's probably a still away kid. He's probably not a kid that does a whole lot for you in year one or two. But if he figures it out, he's got a real shot. And He's got a lot of traits they love, which is strong, smart, good enough feet, willing learner, kid who likes to work. There's just a lot about him they really like. And you can read the interview and tell that the kid, he he stuck it out. I mean, he had VTech. He had a bunch of Ivy League offers. But VTech probably would have been the winner in this thing if he did not wait out FSU. But he he decided to do it, and he earned it. And I think, I think there's a degree of that that earns the respect of the people in the room at FSU with the young man. And that's why they went ahead and took him. You know, you mentioned that, Chris, that that he stuck it out and he earned it. And I thought this on Saturday during the Seminoles showcase, you know, all these programs around the country 
have their final barbecue, swim party, whatever it may be. You have your thing that that's your brand and um, to kind of be the, the last hurrah of, of summer, you get to see who's interested in you and it's valuable. Um, Mike Norvell uses it as a chance to do a little bit more competition, uh, to have a, an abbreviated camp, uh, to kind of get some more data and information on guys. And, um, I just think that speaks to, I know I can sometimes be guilty of taking something little and making it a big point, but like, I just, like Jaden Todd is a perfect example. Him, him and Hickman Collins are really good examples of like, the staff appreciates guys who are willing to work. And that is something that is in Mike Norvell's like fabric of his like DNA. Like that's what he is as a coach. That's what he is as a person. He lives that life to steal a Chris Neeson. Like he lives that life consistently. And so like the guys who come on that last weekend of the summer, when they're about to start their own preseason camps, at, at they're going into their senior years, you come and you work and, and you bust your butt for an hour. Like, yeah, like that, that is something that's going to point to, a cultural fit long-term. And so like, I don't dismiss any, like those guys who are there working hard and absorbing and learning and willing to do extra testing outside of what we can see. Like, yeah, like that, that all matters. And that's stuff that is not going to show up in the rankings at 24 seven sports or other networks. Um, it, it may not be this thing that you can like necessarily quantify, but it does matter. And yeah, it, and yeah I think Jaden Todd, like is he doesn't get that. He's not committed to Florida state if he doesn't come in camp. Right. Yeah, and, and there's a degree of like Elijah Moore came in camp. He he's already kid committed, but he came I mean, and he put was, in a workout. And he was excellent, really and I thought he was the best guy in the gym on the day when I was watching. I didn't watch the big man; I just watched skill. But I, I thought he was the best guy. I thought there were a few quarterbacks that really threw it real well on the day and such. You watch more of the big men going and stuff. But like the thing with Jaden Todd, with Tamir Hickman Collins, with guys like that. If you're in front of the coaching staff and you show one, a desire to be there, two, a willingness to work, three, you're receptive to coaching, and four, you just display qualities that are similar to what they're looking for in players, the fabric of the culture the program, the DNA of the program, there's a value to those guys. And like I understand we all just want to collect the best possible players. And FC is trying to do that. Don't know if you've noticed, but they have a pretty damn good recruiting glasses cycle going on. They're going to do that. They're going to get to Charles Lester's world. They're going to pursue a guy like KJ Bolden and so on and so forth. But they're also going to take a few guys that are just sort of the DNA, like wholeheartedly. And they also believe in their evaluations. They think Tamir Hickman Collins is a much better player than Chris Neat thinks he is. Plain and simple. And I'm cool with that. Like, they're welcome to. They get paid a lot of money and they, you know, keep their jobs or lose their jobs with how those things turn out. So I understand why they're doing it. I'm a believer in Jaden Todd. I think he's very good. I think his ceiling is very high. I think he's a kid who's well worth the gamble of taking. One last note on Jaden Todd is I think his uh, like watching his film and, and just seeing him move in person and just asking around about him, like his power, his his raw strength. Um, he's just kind of like just figuring that all out. Like once he puts it together. Uh, that upside of what he can be as like as a people mover or someone who just can't be moved like in pass pro, it may end up being special. Like that there is the chance that you are, you're gambling on this one, but it is a gamble of like, you see what the upside is. And, and I'm totally cool with that. Like, I think that makes sense. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that they also had a commitment on that Saturday as well. And I almost forgot about that one. And that was from a four-star offensive tackle, Manasseh Atete 
uh, from Northern California, Modesto, California, but he's initially from, where is he, Chris? Democratic Republic of Congo. Congo, okay. Uh, and he, and so he has a 92, <clears throat> excuse me, overall, oh my God, struggle bus here. 92 overall grade uh, per 24-7 sports, 142nd nationally by us. I think we're a little bit higher on him than the, the industry, but still four-star composite rank ranking for him. Uh, some of the FSU, basically, we don't get to say they flipped him from USC because he, he committed from USC the day before, but I'm going to count it as a flip in my own personal record book, Chris. Yeah, and we covered him thoroughly. He's a kid that from his spring visit till that June visit to USC, FSU led in the USC visit. He's a highly impressionable kid. We called him that when he committed to USC. We're still going to call him that now. He's a kid that went to USC, loved it, and committed there. But FSU kind of stayed with it. And I think the long-term relationship and the fact that he had been so high on FSU mattered. Alex Atkins did a good job. Derek Ray, who's got ties to the area where uh, Manasseh is at, played a big role in it. And FSU did a good job. He's a high-ceiling offensive lineman, tackle-type body. He's going to have to figure it out a bit. I think he's only played 14 high school games, if I recall correctly, what Brandon Huffman told me, our West Coast analyst. So he's a kid that's going to be raw in the American game, but he's, again, a high upside kid. It's not a great high school offensive line year, but I think FSU's done a good job of taking some good-sized bodies with good athletic traits. And, again, you kind of throw numbers at it. You hope a few of them pan out. That's what your future is at those spots. And you're probably going to have a lot of guys leave after this season, too. Like, you have a yeah. lot of veterans currently on the roster. And, and they, they, they like carrying – ballpark of at least about 1801 so they're not shy of being a little heavy in that position i think they'll still pursue jason zandamella a usc commitment clearwater academy kid originally from mozambique he's a kid that they love he's probably an interior well he is an interior lineman he's probably a kid that can be a dominant center um he'll be a little bit more of a difficult pull he really really likes usc likes a lot of what they have to offer from an academic and athletic standpoint so I, I don't think he's one who's going to be easily swayed back, but I don't think FSU's going to give up the chase there. They have a good relationship with staff at that school. Lucas Simmons, who's currently on the roster, and Jason Zandamella are good friends. There are ties there. You know, We'll see how that progresses. There's nothing that I expect imminently with regards to Jason Zandamella, but we'll see like Miami weekend. He's one of those guys that I'm very interested. Does he show up for Miami weekend? So FSU, with all the aforementioned additions currently sits easy for me to say i'm starting to starting to fade here uh sits at sixth nationally take a swig of chattanooga whiskey who cares that it's 9 a.m that might actually help we'll see um gargle it um fsu sits six nationally in the class rankings which is pretty cool chris uh this was a team that was ranked 26th before the start of july there are a lot of people freaking out on the message board there are a lot of people telling them not to freak out. And here we are, early August, FSU sits six nationally. And that will transition us into what could become, what may not become, but something that we're going to keep a really close eye on these next few days, the commitment ceremony of KJ Bolden. That'll be on Saturday, August 5th, uh, sometime in the evening, I think like seven to eight-ish range, uh, sometime in the evening. It'll be up in Buford. Um would you say that's a pivotal moment, Brendan? Yeah, yeah, that would be it. That would be big. Um, you, All right, you, so you I'll, I'll, I'll host here for a second. Okay, I'm gonna go get some water real quick. All right, so hustle, my friend. But we'll be upfront about this. Brendan's 
carried the load when it's come to covering KJ Bolden's recruitment. He's done a ton of work here. He's got good sources on. He's worked very, very hard. Uh, we've all, myself, Zach, and him have all dealt with KJ Bolden and Dane have all dealt with KJ Bolden during this recruitment. KJ visited FSU for a multi-day unofficial in June. We believe that was an extremely important visit and putting FSU truly in striking distance of this recruitment. Early throughout the distance of this recruitment, most people have expected to be Georgia. Ohio State was long thought to be number two school there by most. We, as Knowles 24-7 folk, over the last month, wholeheartedly believe FSU's thoroughly been in that top two with Georgia. Auburn's made this kind of interesting. They got them on campus for a visit at the end of July for Big Cat Weekend. Did a lot of work. They had a huge weekend, flipped a couple five-star type of kids and whatnot. And, you know, let's not discredit what Auburn's willing to do recruiting-wise and what Hugh Freeze is as a recruiter. So they're going to put themselves in that mix. And there's been plenty of chatter with that in recent days since that visit. So, Brendan, here, Thursday, August 3rd, 9 a.m., where do you stand on KJ Bolden? I think in a similar spot as I stood in mid-July, early July, when when we reported that FSU was very much so in contention for him. And I felt at that point, at that time, that FSU, if I had to pick that day, that I would pick FSU. And if I had to pick here today at August 3rd, 9.03 a.m., I would still pick FSU. And 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 that doesn't mean that it's going to happen. That doesn't mean that things can't change. That just means that my sourcing, which, like, normally, like, someone asked on the board, Chris, like, how many times, like, how many people do you need to hear from usually to feel good out of a, a guy's going to commit like one or two normally like if the person's yeah. someone that you trust and you hear from enough like i like we will usually at least start formulating our idea that's going to happen with one or two right yeah and it is fair to say and i, I think you'd probably agree with me on this kj bonin's done a phenomenal job of handling this recruitment in the sense of like kind of keeping people guessing and you know despite the fact that george was long thought to be the leader and the favorite he's never been like outward with that here in recent months. He's, he's kept parties alive in this, whether it's Ohio state, Florida state, recently Auburn, Georgia throughout. That's a fair statement to say like KJ has done a good job playing yeah. the game. And, and so with that in mind, like I'm trying to think of what I can, and can't say like, I, I've heard from enough more than what we would normally hear from in any recruitment to feel, to say like that, you feel good about it like a lot more than normal. And then when we start checking in with people who are familiar with like Buford sources, because we're not, I'm not like reaching out to people in Buford every day. You're not Chris. Like that's not our, our area, but like for the people of Buford that we do talk to, like no one's told us like, yeah, you're crazy for saying that you think it's going to be Florida state. Like, so, so that's the little variable, the little pie piece of that pie that like, or piece of that puzzle, excuse me, that makes me feel like, okay, what we're hearing from like with FSU being a, relatively optimistic uh and every coaching staff is optimistic to your point right like that yeah. that is what you mentioned with kj bull and that's a you don't you don't work as hard as you do in a recruitment like this not to have some form of optimism at the end of it right and so yeah like i know what's out there i know what other like i get it's the screenshot sent to me constantly throughout throughout the day like i know what other people are saying i hear it i know what you guys are reading and seeing i know what's being put on our board i know what's out there and I still feel the way I feel. And like that, again, I'm not saying it's 100% going to happen. I think it's more likely to happen in FSU to get a commitment from him than not. And I could be wrong on that. And it will be a fun story to tell and to break down what happened if FSU does not get him uh, based on all the information we have. So so if it's not FSU, who do you think it is? 
a few days ago, I thought it would be Auburn. Um, I think some of that's died down a little bit. Georgia's still being optimistic does baffle me based on a few things that I've heard. Um, Cause I thought Georgia, yeah, I, I can't, I can't go any further on it. Um, I, I have, uh, as I said, Brendan and Zach have done much more heavy lifting with this one than I have. I've always maintained some belief that I'll believe it when I see it not being Georgia. You, you know, that just from a gut perspective, Chris, I would agree with you there. Like I, based on what I, and I could hear things and, um, and that's fine. And I also have to, I guess sometimes when you report, you also have to like go with the gut and like, does that make sense? And like, yeah, if I if I were to be going to the ceremony on on Saturday, if, if that were something I were to do, uh, if I were to ever get out of quarantine, um, I would be driving up with a lot of anxiety that I'm driving up to cover a Georgia commitment. How is that different than any other Saturday for you? Uh, it's usually not a Georgia <laughs> commitment. It's just a lot of anxiety while driving. Couple reasons why FSU is thoroughly in this. One, they were first offered. Two, KJ's maintained that FSU is a childhood favorite type of school. Three, the relationship he's built with Pat since his hire at FSU. Four, the effort of Mike Norvell. We regularly hear about how Mike Norvell recruits players. KJ Bolt is one of those dudes that he certainly earmarked, has built a relationship, has worked very hard with. Five, that multi day unofficial in June was vitally important. Uh, FSU did a really, really good job there. He spent a great deal of time with position coaches figuring things out. FSU has a clear and distinct plan for him as a defensive back, not specifically as a safety. I think that's appealing to him and something that he likes. Six, they've done a really good job of recruiting some people around him that they also like, that he's very close with. So there's relationships there that go beyond just KJ. Charles Lester is one of those. Charles Lester's commitment to FSU was very important in the potential of FSU getting KJ Bolden. If FSU doesn't get Lester, I, I, I think Bolden, is done. Like I don't think it happens. Um, and that's personal opinion based on some stuff I know about this recruitment. So those are some of the reasons why optimism does exist. We will see how it plays out. We will see. Are you, I, I mean, Chris, I, I, you've kind of taken, I'll believe it when I see it approach. So I, I'm not trying to chip away at you here, but like, do you feel differently than you did a month ago? Like, like, how are you? I, yeah. I, I thoroughly believe FSU has a legitimate shot of landing. Yes. Okay. And I, I was not there a month ago, despite good intel and people ha- showing confidence. And when I just thought it was sort of a coming off of June, you felt like you did a good job, but that's going to wear off. No, I think there's been lasting power with that. I think FSU, I understand why FSU has optimism and I'm still paying attention to Saturday, but I am not dismissive of Georgia. Kirby Smart has done a phenomenal job of getting who he wants into Athens when he wants them, beating out the juggernauts and FSU is now competing with said juggernauts. And it's tough, but yeah, I, I'm a pessimist by reality. I've just done this too long not to be, but FSU's done a really, really good job recruiting. And I'll be honest when they, they shoot very straight when they tell us things and they're comfortable with things. I think they feel good about what they've done in this recruitment throughout. It's just other people feel good. And like, that's, that's, um, that's KJ playing a good game though. When was the last time you've covered or been part of a, seen FSU part of a recruitment like this where like, legitimately like no one knows everyone knows like this is just this is recruiting chef's kiss like if you're into the entertainment perspective of recruiting like this is this is as fun as it gets uh, um, just I mean, like me it's probably not as much fun 
I'm probably misremembering it to some degree, but I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau's recruitment had a portion where it was like this, maybe not at the end of it, but during yeah. it. Um, and he was obviously a very significant individual who's now gone on to be a pretty good NFL player. Um, there's been others. I mean, Delvin Cook had twists and turns in his, certainly, including multiple commitments before ending up at FSU. Those are some of the ones that come to mind. But he's a player of those magnitudes where he, he's a difference maker. He's arguably the best safety in the country from a ranking standpoint. And he is a dude who's going to be an early, high-level college football player. Marvin Wilson, maybe, in that same class. Oh, no, he was in yeah. the uh, class. Marv was a guy that there was a lot of work. And the fact that he was out of state in Houston, you had to go beyond LSU and such. And I think, if I recall correctly, LSU was a big contender there at the mm-hmm. end. That caused the most concern. Yeah, that, that was like into the bitter end. You were having to, to scrape and, and fight. So we will we will see. Um, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun Saturday because I don't think that we'll – feel great with anything with that information that we have until we see what happens on that Saturday uh, afternoon. All right. Last thing, then we'll get out of here. Preseason camp begins. Football season is here. And like, look how long it took us an hour to get to it. Cause there's so much other stuff going on, but preseason camp is here. And we are going to turn a lot of our focus in the next week or so, like onto football from a podcasting perspective, all that coverage has been football oriented at knowles 247com Uh, and it will continue to be. Unfortunately, I will not be able to be out there for the first practice. We we will see what the rest of the week looks like. Uh, But Chris and Brett will be out there holding the fort down, doing the best they can. I'll be helping out remotely the best I can. Um, So we will be out there. This is going to be a fun season for Florida State, uh, one with a lot of high expectations. We'll be talking about all that stuff. And and you guys are already pretty informed on on the team based on what we talk about uh, with them throughout the offseason. But real quick, Real quick, Chris, as we get into fall camp here, uh, I just want to go position by position, not a preview type of thing. Anything you like know, that. I love going position. By I position. know you do. And and we will do more like take takeaways and stuff like that in the coming days or week or so uh, position position. But like, I want to set a bar here. I want to give us kind of a, a starting place as we start to take in analysis and take in information. I want to go with our confidence ratings by position. Okay. Uh, I've done that for the season preview, uh, the position previews for the season uh, at Knowles247.com, right? So I, I will go ahead and, and do the breakdown of what I think the depth chart is going to look like, key players returning, storyline, stuff like that. At the end, do a confidence rating. Been doing that since, I think, 2016, since I first came here to Knowles247. And the confidence rating basically is my idea of where I think Florida State's position group would be compared to other position groups uh, in the Power Five and I use it as like a percentile. So if it's like a 10, that means you're in the hundredth percentile. If it's an eight out of 10, that means you're in the 80th percentile compared to other position groups at the same level of, of you as you nationally. All right. So I'm going to go ahead position by position, Chris, tell you what I've put down. Uh, or how about this? We'll go position by position. You tell me what you think you would have. And then I'll tell you what I've put down already. And then we'll reevaluate this at the end of camp. Okay. That all, all right. Makes sense? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm going delirious. Uh, quarterback. I'd go 10 or 9 Woo! at the worst. I, I think Jordan Travis is one of the best in the country. I think Jordan Travis has got a masterful handle of the Florida State offense, what's expected of him. And the the chatter from within the building is that Jordan Travis is determined to be an even better version of Jordan Travis. And I want to doubt Jordan Travis. He's taught me those lessons one too many times. And the other reason I feel good about it is nobody wants to see their second quarterback necessarily, or some people really do. Some people really love their backup quarterbacks. 
but I feel comfortable that if FSU got into a pinch and had to play Tate or somebody else that that room has enough talent that with the talent surrounding them on the offense that FSU would still be a highly successful football team. I'm with you out of 10, Chris. I think you should, you feel as good as anyone does nationally, maybe other than USC about your quarterback, um, your starting quarterback. And I feel like you probably feel as, as confident with your number two quarterback entering the year as, as most teams nationally, because you've seen them do it at this point. And, and there's some value to that. So I'm at a 10 as well. I think it is elite. Like it is one of the top, like two or three best like position group uh, quarterback rooms in the country. Um, and also I like Brock Glenn uh, running back. Uh, let's see. What do you have there for running back? I'd probably go about nine eights in consideration, but I think I said on that nine. I think Trey Benson's a guy who can go for a thousand. I think Rodney Hill is a guy that's going to step up and have a big impact. I'm not going to discount Keziah Holmes doing a little bit for them. I think they find some spot duty for him. I love CJ Campbell. I just don't know if he gets touches. Uh, the main question with that room for me is just how do you kind of go about what Trayshawn Ward brought to it, uh, the de- determination, the production, all those things that made Trayshawn a great player at FSU. How how do those numbers get moved around? I think Rodney Hill's a guy that can take some of those numbers. And Lawrence Tofilly, someone I didn't mention, a little bit more of a gadget type. But, uh, you know, he has a role. He plays that role well. I don't know that he dramatically increases what he does for FSU from an offensive standpoint. But if he holds steady, holds serve, basically, he's still a very serviceable player and a helpful player for them offensively. Mike Dorovell loves his gadgety weapons. I, I have an eight uh, just because I need to see a few things with Rodney Hill as much as I, I'm very excited about him. Uh, if you had Trayshawn Ward back again, like this would probably be a nine or, or close to a 10 because I don't know how many teams nationally would have what you have. But um, it's still we're, – we're pretty close there. Wide receiver slash tight end, so so pass catcher room. Uh, nine. Uh, yeah. I, there's only one ball to go around. That might be the most difficult thing for those guys. But you got Johnny Wilson, who's an established one. Keon Coleman, who's a guy who would be a one for a lot of schools, who will help alleviate some of that pressure. Jaheim Bell working in the middle of the field as a tight end. Biscuit's a cat that I feel comfortable with him playing his role at a high level. He's a kid that kind of took a big step last year for them, and I think continues that progression in a positive manner. Kyle Morlock, I think, will come about later in the year. I'm just not sure he does it out of the gate this year necessarily. But a receiver room has a lot of guys after those first two we mentioned who you feel good about. Darian Williamson, for example, is a kid that we've kind of always thought could emerge. Kentron is a guy who had a very good spring, who sounds like he's had a good summer. Shakai Douglas, another gadget guy who has a role to play. Destin Hill, who, yeah, I'm not going to discount that. He can't do things. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple that I should have probably mentioned as well. I'm at an eight, so not too far from you. And and you could convince me to go up to nine. I just you know, Pokey is someone who I think – uh, Coach AB is the president of the fan club that might be missed more than than you think, but um, I think the talent level that you have in the room is is better than a year ago. Uh, offensive line, Chris, this will be a fun one. Uh, I'm an about, eight. Think about where you would have been a few years ago with this. I'm an eight on the O line. Um, it, it's short yardage push. I need to see it. Once they do that, I, I feel like you can elevate it. They're in a much better position than they've been. I feel like they are truly ten deep. We know who the eight are. Basically, the five returning starters. Your three transfers that have come in, Julian Armella, Jalen earlier, the next two guys up, that gives you a nice round number of 10 guys that you can feel good about. I think they rotate a little bit more there. I just got to see them win those short yardage pushes. That's an area where FSU had some struggles at times last year. And if they can do that, which I think they will, I think part of the reason they went and got the transfers they got were to add bulk, especially a Casey Roddick and a Keandre Jones, for example. And we all know how much I like Jeremiah Byers. I think he's got a very high ceiling on what he's capable of being. 
they can be a really good bunch. And I think Alex Atkins has created an extremely competitive atmosphere. Marie Smith's probably the only guaranteed starter in that group at center, but they have a lot of capable guys who they could start and you feel comfortable with. And that's not something we've been able to say around these parts a whole heck of a lot in the last decade. I'm at a seven, Chris, not too far from you. I, I, the big caveat for me is I can't believe I'm like, I'm coming off as negative right now. And I'm very optimistic about all these positions. I, I, I'm on record. I think FSU's offense is going to be one top three in the country. It very well could be. It probably should be um, based on, on who returns what you brought in. Uh, but the offensive line, I'd feel a little bit better if I if I knew you had a second center in, in the fold that you could trust, even even like a slightly below average one if, if he was fine at snapping. I know it's a joke. snapping well, that, to you, but that, like, That's why you cross-trained uh, Casey Roddick, and it was mixed results with the snapping there. But I think you feel okay with him. Uh, Darius Washington's another guy that you can slide in there, and you're the president of that fan club, so. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. They don't have like the clear cut guy who can push Maurice in the sense of like truly contend to take his job. Also, Maurice uh, well, is I'm, a boxer who never loses his job. Yeah, I'm fine with twelve I mean, rounds. Listen, I have confidence in Maurice Smith as as your starting center. Like, I I don't want that to be like. I'm fine with him not. I, I'm totally comfortable with him entering the year as the starter. My concern is if he were to get hurt. I don't think it's be a performance yeah. issue with him. Yeah. So. That, that would be my concern. I, and I, we know that Darius Washington can go in and, and snap the ball. It's just not going to be uh, – uh, the timing of the offense will be different. I, I don't think it will be a disaster if Darius were to go in and become the guy. But um, we'll see. Maybe they'll figure out some solutions or guys will improve. Case Jurotic maybe will get more time this this preseason camp at center and uh, results won't be as mixed. Yeah. We will see. But that is that is a thing to watch. And also, like, very nitpicky of us, too. Like, I'm talking about the second-string center. Oh, how far they've come. Uh, let's move to defense, Chris. Uh, defensive end, edge rushers specifically, or edge defenders. It's weird because Jared Versh is, Versh is probably ACC Defensive Player of the Year if you had to pick one preseason. But that four spot still a little bit of a – is it going to be Byron Turner? Is he ready for that? Is Gilbert Edmond even a guy that you feel super comfortable as your third? I guess I settle in around the seven. Um, I love Versh and Peyton. You know, I feel very confident about what they can bring to the table. But I don't want those guys playing the snaps that we saw like J-Rob and such playing a few years ago. So it's important that Gilbert Edmond, Byron Turner, and then after those two, it would be like Dante Anderson, maybe Jaden Jones, that you get a good solid two combo behind those first team guys. That's the biggest discrepancy we have so far. I'm at an 8.5, and it is because largely Jared Verse. I have so much confidence in him and what he is, and then a lot of confidence in Patrick Payton being like that number two. Like how many teams nationally would – be thrilled with that like 90 percent of or, or about like 10 percent of teams would be able to wait most team, most teams 15 percent is the percentage you have left if you're at 8.5 for the match guys no i get it i, I don't disagree with you like if you're doing the ones only it's like a nine or ten my concern is that's a position where you get helmets on knees as we saw with jared verse last year for example and just a lot of guys get banged up and you don't want those dudes playing 75% of game reps. So you don't want them playing 60, 70 reps in a game potentially. And I don't think that's where FSU is. I just feel like there's a healthy drop off currently from that first group to that second. group. Speaking of, of nine or 10, let's talk about the defensive tackle group. It's a nine for me. Um, you might go down to an eight if you don't have Jackson available and that's to be determined with him dealing with a waiver situation. Um, but I think it's an extremely good group. I'm I'm very high on Braden Fisk and what I think he's capable of. 
I think it will translate, even though he's going from Western Michigan to Florida State. Fabian Lovett, who I expect to be fine and healthy, despite being seen in a boot in Tatum Bethune rock-breaking video, is a guy who's extremely important. FSU was 7-0 last year when he played a healthy amount of snaps. Um, it, it's a really good group. Odell Hagan, as he liked to say yesterday in our very brief interview, is blessed. He's got a nice, deep, talented room. He mentioned Daniel Lyons as a kid that they're high on, and he's someone we've heard decent chatter consistently over the last year about. You got Malcolm Ray, who's kind of a dependable guy. Dennis Briggs, a dependable guy. You got several of those types. So that's a room where you have a nice, healthy rotation, and you got some really dominant players on the front end. I am at a nine as well, Chris. And yeah, it, it'll fluctuate based on what happens with Daryl Jackson. I would say it's not a great sign that we're in early August and FSU hasn't said there's definitive word. Definitive word. I, I know from people that I've checked with around the program, like the messaging has changed a little bit with how they say things and respond to me about it. So it's like they're still waiting or um, it, it just, it's a little different. So we will see. I'm the, the messaging had been optimism for a very long period of time. And now I'm not hearing optimism. Now it's either kind of like, we don't know what's happening or we're still waiting. And a sense of like kind of tapping your fingers, figuring out what's going to happen there. So not ideal. I think it'd be how I would describe it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to linebacker. Uh, Chris, what do you got for the Randy Shannon bunch? Uh, 7.5 is where I settle in. I very confident in the first two. They're going to do very well within the system. Kalen Deloach and Tatum Bethune are both very talented dudes. Deloach has taken massive steps forward, and it's a credit to him. He's become a really good football player for them. Tatum is super, super dependable and a tough dude. He played through a lot of stuff last year. Um, the the group after that, you know, I'm, I'm waiting see mode with Omar Graham. Decent amount of chatter and buzz. Randy Shannon was pretty direct. Mike Norvell has talked about it some about they've invested a lot in Omar and they feel good about it. And I like Omar a lot. Omar is a kid that we liked a lot in the recruiting process, both as a player and a person. Um, and then DJ Lundy's dependable. I like that group, but I just, if you're only really comfortable with the first three, it's just a little short on numbers. Cause again, I always worry about guys in the front seven on a defense getting banged up just cause it's, it's the name of the game is go and crash into a not human at full speed. And sometimes that takes a toll on people. I was close. I was at 6.5. I, I think the, caveat is there's a few more ifs what ifs there um then then i would like like they give you if they play the same way the two stars play the same way they did against lsu then you're going to probably be like the 80th or 90th percentile nationally like they were great at, in the opener um but yeah how do you withstand wear and tear throughout the course of the season if you're if you're the loach and tatum bethune um and if that's better and you have some better luck than you did with injuries last year then yeah that you'll probably be a little bit better um the what if with omar graham exists and uh if there is any sort of long-term injury like who is who jumps up into that too deep then with some of the young guys too so there are some things with with a position group that doesn't have a whole lot of like bodies on the field at any given time that like you could eat into the depth pretty quickly that does give me some concern i think that's why i'm a little bit lower uh on it than you but like still i think it's a, a well above average power five group um and bordering on, on being a strength for your defense. Uh, that's really like that avenue does exist if if all the what-ifs turn into positives. Finally, let's go to the secondary defensive backfield, Chris. Where are you at? Let's hear yours first on this one. I am at a solid, respectable seven. Yeah, I feel comfortable with that too. I, I was I was I feel like they're 
it, it would make around that more... top quarter of the country, but at the bottom of that top quarter of the country. So like 7.5. The thing for me is, can Shaheem Brown be the guy they need him to be? I'm not trying to say he's going to be Jamie Robinson. I don't think any singular individual replaces Jamie Robinson this year. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that when you try he, to ask he did, him. He, he did. in your freaking place. Um, well, that's Adam. That's yeah, how he operates. I'm good with like it. Adam. Uh, Mr. Direct, I prefer. He, that's a Massachusetts. In I was going to say, it's a very Northeastern element uh, um, of him that you and I are comfortable with, I think. But, like, Shaheem's got to be more of a dude than he was last year. And that's the expectation. Is That's the progression of a guy within the system. But the thing is that, again, you're looking at what's next after him, and it's a lot of really young guys. I know they love K.J. Kirkland. He showed up some really good stuff in the spring before he got banged up. Conrad Hussey's a kid I'm very, very high on. Edwin Joseph has plenty of talent is in that mix. Ashlyn Barker, who we referenced earlier in this podcast, big physical, one-year of Juco experience kind of kid. He brings something to that room, too. I know they like it. But Akeem Dent's also got to play better. Like that, the safeties for me is just one of those positions where, like, and Kevin Knowles is now in that mix too. And that's because he's a Swiss Army knife up to a buck 90, and they feel comfortable and confident in the person and the player he is. Another kid who played through a lot of stuff last year physically. And if you subscribed to Knowles 24 7, you would have known about that like a month ago. So, like, you got a lot of bodies back there and a lot of guys, and you got a few who you probably feel pretty good about, especially the, the Cheyenne Browns, Akeem Dent, Kevin Knowles kind of leading the charge there. Thing for me is just seeing how the pieces fit, how it works. That's the last line of your defense. I feel really good about the island, you know, with Fentrell Cypress and Renardo Green. And then I think J Dub and Greedy Vance will probably be your nickel types. And I feel really, really good about those spots. Like I'm and AZ Thomas is a guy who's going to factor into that as well as some others. I feel very comfortable with that group. It's the safeties for me where I have to hesitate. Yeah. And just the reason why I had as DBs was just like for the sake of time when I was putting the list together, we started to run out of time and like kickoff was was coming um i think it'd be interesting like what if we split it into cornerbacks and and safeties like i think it'd be closer to like one would be an eight and one would be like a a five or a six maybe like, i think safeties I mean, might be closer safe, to five or six. safeties are capable of being very good uh, i think fsu the way they use their safeties well they put a lot on the table for them i don't think they strain them in the sense where like like for example, Pack being your third safety, like he was a guy you were comfortable with when he was out there at being able to be serviceable. I think FSC mm-hmm. does a good job kind of playing that position to the guy they're using. There's just so many new faces that you're going to have to find somebody else to use in some of those roles. It's part of the reason Kevin Knowles got moved there because however it works out with Akeem Dent, Shaheen Brown, and Kevin Knowles, that's your one, two, three as far as your safeties. I think you're comfortable with all three of them. But there's got to be an elevation of game. You're one injury away from a true freshman having to be in the two deep, and that may not end up yeah. being the worst thing in the world based on you know what you share. Like that, that there is upside with all three of those uh, newcomers, but you don't want to be forced into that, right? Yeah, and I, I don't think you want to see that against LSU or Clemson in the first month of the season, the first month of yeah. those kids' college career. But heck, like there is like um, who is the kid? Who is the FAU transfer that ended up going to Ole Miss? I'm blanking on the name right now, but like. He probably wasn't going to be available. I know you're not in the transfer market game like I am, but I should be the one knowing the name. But, like, he probably wasn't going to be available the first month of the season. And so, like, you you move on him because, like, "Ah, you need your guys to be ready for, like, that first month. Like, that's where if you're taking a veteran, uh, ultimately I think, you know, Kevin Knowles moving to safety might be a beneficial move for everyone that might end up working out well. But I will um, say I talked to Pat yesterday when we did the coach interview. mm -hmm. They love the versatility they got in the back half, and their goal is definitely to be a group that – consumes a lot more interceptions than they had last year. I think he said six. I can't remember if it was actually six or eight, but 
obviously did not have a great deal of interception. I think the team had eight interceptions. I'm wondering if the secondary only had six of them. I can't recall offhand. He said six yesterday. Um, go through all these position groups and like none are below a five. And yeah. like we're both optimistic on where the team's going to be. But like I think, I've, I think the offense has capability of being damn near elite. Yeah. I think the defense is going to be a top quarter defense in Very the country good. and in power five. And yeah. I think you can live with that. I think the key for the defense is being more opportunistic than maybe mm-hmm. they were last year. Yeah. That means how do you play with downs, get off the field, take away the ball. Those kind of things are vitally prolific offense and and that's yeah. How do you play within each other? I'm totally with you. Um, Yeah, I I think special teams. I did not do it, but I just wrote it down right before you asked that because I think we will. Because I started planning ahead in like a month when we do this again as a as a check back, and if the score goes up or down, the fan base is going to lose their mind. So, um, all right, workshop this out loud. Uh, long snapper James Rosenberry, uh, a ten, obviously, right? Because he, he did the video, yeah, yeah, exactly. But also, uh, he is considered one of the better long snappers in the country. You know, Alex Mastermano, I think we feel decent with. We know what he is. Um, I think he's an asset at, at, for you. I think I would trend more towards that. So probably like a six or a seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, and then we get to kicker. And I can't tell you that I feel great about that. I don't want to lie to people. I know people yeah, in the I, program feel good about it, but, you know. Kicker for me is still like a four. Like, yeah. I, hopefully they don't have to use it all a lot. Hopefully the offense is good enough that we're only worrying about extra points. I am happy they brought in Tyler Keltner. If for nothing else, it's a safety net. Also helps to push Ryan. I don't think Ryan really needed to be pushed necessarily, but I think it's beneficial for him to have another guy who he knows can come into that role if need be. And to Ryan's credit, he battled through what was not enjoyable for the young man last year. But at the end of the day, I just, you know, when FSU rolls out there, kick a field goal, I'm never feeling super optimistic about it until it just becomes an afterthought. I think that's fair. Uh, I would go with a five collectively for the group right now is where I'm going to set it at going into camp. I'm also and you know, there's so much more to special teams. Punt returns. One of those things that like oh, yeah. life after Micah Pittman. So got to figure right. that out. I'm going to a four. Or number, Chris. Uh, I'll go with a five overall. I, I, I think they're solidly middle. I think they've got options for punt return and kick return. I think they feel pretty good about that. It's just Micah Pittman was so good at making sure he caught the ball, secured the ball, and then ended up working somewhat forward. All right. Well, this has been instructive. It's been informative. It's been a twisting, turning podcast with a ton of topics covered. Uh, Thank you for everyone for listening. Thank you for the subscribers of our website, of the podcast. Thanks for people who give us good reviews on iTunes. The ones who don't, dead to me. Uh, Especially like the person who said they're deducting a point. that It would be a five-star podcast but it's a four because Sinone hosted it. And then you gave us a three. Learn how to do math, dummy. Maybe they thought it was a four and they took away the point for you, buddy. No, they said it would be a five. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure, else must have I'm sure that ranking's going to elevate after you calling them out individually. So good job. There. I, didn't say, I didn't say their name. All right. For Christy, I'm Brendan Sinone. Uh, Zach Blossing's been moving. We'll get him back on the bench fairly soon. Not literal bench, uh, more the metaphoric uh, bench here. Uh, Check out Knowles 24-7 for all of our camp coverage. We're a little shorthanded going into it, but we'll be hitting our stride uh, when it really matters. All right, for Chris, I'm Brendan. has been on the bench. See you guys later. I don't know why I did this. This is what I want to do. Peace. COVID brain. Bye.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.